Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today what I want to talk to you about is run with royalty. I'm convinced in my life that God has designed me and destined me to run with royalty. Today I want to talk about Joseph, and it's a very familiar story. Oh, man. And I want you guys to know that same thing. Now, many of you guys have been studying the Bible longer than I've been alive, right? So you guys know this as well as I do. But I want to encourage us this morning, as we take on this new year, as we decide this is the things that I want to change in my life, this is how I want to eat differently, this is more of the Bible I want to study, I want to love my wife or my husband deeper, I want to love my kids deeper, whatever kind of resolutions that we have, don't forget to leave out the most important thing, which is my relationship with the Lord, right? God has destined us to run with royalty. And as I study this, uh, the, the, this story of Joseph, I begin to realize that sometimes in my life I think, well, it was my failure. It was my sin that I'm going through this and I'm experiencing this. Can I tell you when the Hebrew children faced the fiery furnace, they're not the ones that started the fire. They had to walk through a fire that they didn't start. Right? But this is the interesting thing. As Pastor was preaching that message uh, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting on that front pew and I felt God speak to me. And what I mean by that is not a deep bravado voice that comes from heaven that says, Matt, Matt. But as he was speaking to it, he gave such a great illustration of the Hebrews' uh, hands being bound and they, they, they were thrown into the fire. But because they stuck with Christ and they decided to have the attitude that I'm going to do what honors God... What happened to them? They, did, they didn't run out of the fire. They walked out of the fire. And what had them bound was burned off. So if I suffer with fear or greed or maybe lust or some kind of situation that I can't handle, if I will stick with God, that thing that had me bound will be burned off. Whether I started the fire or whether I didn't. Because sometimes I start the fire, right? Anybody else? Sometimes I apply a little more gasoline than I need. Have you ever guys burned a big brush pile? I remember when I was young, I couldn't wait. The diesel was awesome. I couldn't wait till we got to the gas, man, right? Because I knew then it would cause a big explosion. As I look at the story of Joseph, I think about that. I was trying to find sin, and really I found a lack of discernment and wisdom. But as far as gross sin attached to his life, sometimes there's just things we have to walk through. But this is what he said at the ending. Genesis 45 and 8, it says, So it was God who sent me here, not you. He's talking to his brothers after all the stuff that he's been through. So it was God who sent me here, not ye, you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. Other translations say a father to Pharaoh. The manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. And, and that first part, so it was God who sent me here, not you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you in this place. You guide our footsteps. And God, let us let you guide our footsteps. Speak to our hearts. Make us like you, God. And everybody says, amen. amen. I want to share a, a story with you guys this morning. It's kind of silly, but to me it has very deep meaning. I'm preaching from my, my study Bible, and I'm sharing with Pastor about this. I'm going to try not to get teary-eyed here. Matter of fact, as I was sharing this story with myself again this morning, driving in my vehicle here, I parked, put it in park, and I, it was one of those moments where you're weeping and crying. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, God, what am I doing? I don't know, but it feels really good, you know? 
I was driving down 5th Street about four or five years ago, and I was serving at a different church. And we were trying to sell our house down in Wichita Falls. And, and I spoke to my wife, and I said, if we sell our house, then I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be. For four years, we did not sell our house. It was not until I came here, jumped knee-deep into this for six or eight months and made a commitment. Guess what? A house is now sold in Wichita Falls, Texas. And I'm not going to pretend like we got everything we wanted, but sometimes the liability is worth the loss. <laughs> no liability, a little bit of loss. And the other day I was talking to Ronnie and uh, I, I, now first of all I don't want to pretend like I, I know Pastor Dow because I don't. I can tell you after working here a, a year I feel like I know him. I know people come up to me and say, man, you love people like he loved. And, and when I get around them and, and people talk about those stories, man, and you see their eyes light up and he loved people and he was passionate about it. He just had a way with people. So part of me feels like I, I, I knew him. And the other day I was talking to Ronnie and, and Pastor Dow preached the sermon, The Three Hopes. And I, I just now I put it into my library. And when I preach funerals, I'll just preach The Three Hopes. You mean you use somebody else's sermon? Heck Yeah. Right? If I can look at Charles Spurgeon or, or one of those other guys, then I can certainly look at a man who served the community here for 25 or 30 years and poured his heart out into it, right? Because, see, I'm, I'm not trying to fill his shoes. I'm trying to carry on the legacy that he left. The passion, the vision that was in his heart to change our region. And I was talking to Ronnie, and I said, hey, let me see Pastor Dow's Bible. And he showed me Pastor Dow's Bible. And you know, Pastor Dow... I had the same exact study Bible that I have. Now, the little bit of backstory to that is, you can tell it's kind of worn a little bit. But the backstory to that is, I, I, as I was flipping through it, even to the same page, my pages are the same as his. I mean, it's the same thing. This Bible was seated into my life over 17 years ago. 17 years ago, God knew he knew that there would be one day that I'd get the privilege and the opportunity to speak, to pastor, hear a ray of hope. And he guided my footsteps even to the same Bible. And I don't feel everything that Dow does, but I do some of the stuff that he used to do. And God was preparing me 17 years ago. It was 17 years ago that I woke up and I don't know, I was 18 or 19. And I went down into my little um, room that my dad had made. Had a pool table and I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, God, I want you to speak to me. Now, I'm not going to act like I was perfect because I'm not. But at that moment, I, I just woke up and, I, and that's when he gave me Ephesians 3 and 20. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all I could ask or think. According to the power that works within us. And God spoke to me very clearly. He said, man, I'll take you places you can't go by yourself. I'll do more through you than you think you can do. But it's up to you to release that power that I've put inside of you. So how far you want to go depends upon how much are you willing to release. It sure is hard to accept something with a closed fist. If I want something to be placed in my hand, I better be willing for something to be taken out of my hand. And I, I, as I was thinking about Joseph, I was thinking about that story, and it all kind of just happened this week, and I, just, I, was, I was just humbled by that, thinking, God, you had prepared 17 years ago, matter of fact, this Bible was seated into my life 17 years ago by a youth pastor. Just gave it to me and said, here, I felt like God told me to give this to you. 
And as I look at Joseph's life, I, I realize that everything that we go through is not because we've sinned or because we have gross sin attached to our life. Sometimes somebody else starts the fire. But, but, but like we've heard a hundred times, God does not waste our pain. Amen? What we walk through and what we go through, God will use it to make us stronger. But just like Joseph found out at the end, it's, it's not because it's about me being positioned. It's about what God can do through me. He finally got the ring-a-ding-ding at the end of the story. He said, don't worry. <laughs> you didn't put me here. God put me here so that I could save lives. Oh, man, that gets me stirred up. This morning... He created us to run with royalty, 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Why do I praise him? Because he saved me and he called me out of sin. He called me out of a dark, dark world. And he didn't just call me out so that I could appreciate it. He called me out so I could tell somebody. I could tell somebody about this marvelous lie. Now let's go over the story of Joseph, if you will, with me here. Chapters 37 through 45. I'm not going to read them all, so don't worry. I would stumble too much anyways. But he starts out at 17 years old. His father is Jacob. His father Jacob gives him this coat of many colors. Interesting enough, this coat of many colors is, I'm not going to say it's a promotion, but it, but it, but it distinguishes him from everybody else, Right? He gets this coat of many colors, but one of the uh, factors of the coat is it's a long sleeve coat. And, and shepherds usually wore their sleeves off because they were more mobile and things. If you think about when people work cattle, most of the time a lot of them have vests on. Why? Because they're kind of more mobile and they have a better range. And here, here, here Joseph is at 17 years old and he comes in and he says, Father, they've been doing evil out in the field. And when I first heard that and he talked about that with his brothers, I was thinking... Are you a tattletale? But if you read back some chapters, one of his brothers had already climbed in wife with one of his father's women. So there was some evil already there. So there was no telling what they were doing out in the field. So when he comes back into the house and he says, Dad, they were doing evil, first of all, he didn't gain any friends right there, right? Then after that, his father gives him the tunic. The tunic has long hands. His coat of many colors. You can see him from a mile off. He comes up and he says, hey, I, I, I've got a vision. I, I've got a vision that I want to share with you that God gave me a dream. And he shares the first dream of their binding sheaves and the sheaves bow down. The second dream he dreams, the moon, the stars, and the sun all bow down to him. Now, whenever he shared the second dream, it already said before that what? That his brothers already hated him and didn't speak peaceably to him. But then at the end of that dream, it actually says the wording changes. It actually says that they envied him. Now, that's a very unique word if you think envied, because envied gives me some uh, clue that I really think what he said is going to happen. Matter of fact, it, it, the story goes on. They go to Shechem and Dotham, and his father sends him. The next thing that we pick up on is he's with his, he's with his father. So the other brothers are tending the sheep. He's hanging out with his dad. Jacob says, I want you to go down, Joseph, and check on your brothers. He goes down to Shechem. They're not there. The man finds him wandering in a field, says, how can I help you? Isn't it interesting? Whenever God puts a vision in your heart or whenever God saves you from salvation, it's impossible to go back to what you were. Here he is. He's in the coat of many colors. He has his father's favoritism. God's spoken these visions into his heart. And he's wandering in a field. And the guy walks up to him and is like, you don't belong here. 
Have you guys ever been around somebody who's been saved and they tried to go back into sin? That's like the most awkward thing ever, right? Even good, really good sinners don't want to be around them because it's just weird, right? Because we were not designed, once, we're, once we get that in, in our heads that we were designed to run with royalty, we can never go back. And he's wandering in a field and they said, no, go down to Dothom. He goes down to Dothom and, and he finds them. And how bad do you have to hate somebody when you see him? Somebody walks through that back door and you're like, man, I hate that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you don't even see him. Like, and, and they could see him from a mile away because here he is. He's wearing his coat of many colors. Right? Doesn't, it doesn't look like he's supposed to fit in his brothers. Matter of fact, the evilness of his brothers were so that at the first when they threw him in the pit and they were, going to, uh, they were going to kill him, they said, wait a second, it's way more profitable to sell him. That, that showed that kind of gives us an inquiry of, the, of their evilness. Well, killing him, psh, that's just killing him. But if I sell him, I can get some money out of this deal. So he goes down there, he checks on them. They hate him. They take his coat away. Of course, they bring it back to Jacob. They sell it to some Ishmaelites. They go down to, it's a two days journey from where they're at down to Egypt. Then he sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife then accuses him of sexual misconduct. He gets sent to prison, Right? And then in prison, he, he still, and at Potiphar's house, it says the Lord's with him and it blesses all that he does. And then, and then Potiphar's wife, like I said, accuses him. And sometimes I get mad at Potiphar's wife. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I was praying about that the other day and, and God said, Matt, be careful being mad at other people's sin. Now, I should hate sin and I shouldn't like sin, but I shouldn't be mad at the person. Because I want to think in my life, how many times has God put a blessing in my life? Like he did with Potiphar's wife. A man that ran the whole house. Their expenses changed. Their, the, the, the climate changed in their house. It was peaceful. But yet it still was not enough. See, what happened to Potiphar's wife is she got caught in on the blessing. And she said, God, I, or she didn't say God. She said, I see the blessing. Where's the rest? And sometimes I do that. God, I appreciate the blessing, but where's the rest? As opposed to having the attitude maybe, God, I see the blessing. Now here's my best. You brought a lot to the table. Now let me do my best to bring it to the table. So as we look at Potiphar's wife there, as we look at the circumstances, we've got to be careful. Hate the sin, love the person. Anyways, he gets thrown in jail and in prison. He, 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 he climbs to the highest, highest position of, of an inmate, so to speak. He interprets two dreams. One guy dies, one guy goes back to his job with the king. Years later, they say, oh, I remember this guy. He can interpret these dreams. Pharaoh has two dreams, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And he goes back and, and he says, we got to go down to Joseph. Joseph, interesting story. Think about it. Joseph's walking out of prison in rags, right? But he stands before royalty. What distinguishes him in that moment is despite his outward appearance of in rags, he still acts like he's royalty. But see, it took him to the end of his prison to realize that this is not about me. Anyways, he, he goes in there and he interprets it. Now all of a sudden, he's second in command. He goes back and meets his, his brothers come in from the famine. And he winds up saving his brothers through the help of God. A very interesting story. And, and like I said, I was, I was running through it and I was trying to figure out where did he sin? What did he do wrong? There had to be some kind of sin for this kind of calamity to come upon him, right? But this is what I know that there's not. There's a lack of wisdom and a lack of discretion 
But really, God has his steps ordained. And I know with me, I didn't really want to act great. And I want to be careful how I say act great because we're not perfect. But I didn't, know, I didn't want to act great until I knew that there was greatness for me. See, it wasn't until Christ came into my life and I began to realize that he had something for me that now all of a sudden my actions wanted to identify with what I could become. See, that's the importance of telling people, right? That's the importance of showing people. And there's three words here, aptitude, attitude, and altitude. And, and aptitude is something that it's, it's kind of our natural ability to lend ourselves towards. It, it, sometimes it might be athlete, uh, an athlete, sometimes it might be music. But once we find out in ourselves what our aptitude is, and our aptitude is to lend ourselves toward worldly things and sin, that's the reason why Jesus had to come. And as I look at Joseph's life, I think that to some degree he finally figures out his aptitude. His aptitude is to kind of become self-absorbed. If, if we think about his first two visions, his first two visions were about every, what everybody was doing to him. They were bowing down before him. They were worshiping before him. Even at the time, if I'm going to get a promotion at work, the last person that I need to tell first is the guy who hates me. <laughs> you right? If that guy hates me and I got the promotion over him, he's probably not the first person I need to say, hey, I, check out this dream I had. Right? And then he's got all of his 11 brothers lined up and he's like, and there's 11 stars. Let's see. One star, one star. You know what I mean? Okay? So he, he's not using too much wisdom and discretion whenever he reveals his dream. So he has a little bit of aptitude. But I found out in my life, if I figure out what my aptitude is, maybe my aptitude is not to run to the fire. But does it mean I can still be a fireman? Sure. It just means I need to know that I lend myself towards that. So my attitude then has to change. So when I see the fire, if I know that my attitude is to run, just a, switch, just a quick switch in my attitude can change my actions. If, if, if I know that, like, as a father, there's certain things. Are there any other parents in here, there's certain things your kids can do just push your buttons? Like, like you can be having a great day, then they hit that right button, dude, everything changes, like, in two seconds, man, right? And they know it. Yeah. Yeah, they know it. I know as a coach, I'd have players who would do that, too. But once I figured out what I was apt to lend myself towards and what I was apt to get mad at, all of a sudden, I'd go in with a, a different attitude. If I knew, like for me, I really hate to lose. I'm a competitive person by nature. I hate to lose. I hate to get beat. Oh, it makes me want to grind my teeth out of my mouth, man. I'm serious. I hate it. But whenever I would go into ball games, I didn't know that until my second season. And whenever I'd go into ball games, now my attitude would change. Because I knew what I lended myself towards. And then once my attitude changed, my altitude. Y'all remember that little, little sign probably in third or fourth grade that says your attitude determines your altitude. How true is that? How high I want to go in life depends on how serious I am. It depends on how much respect I want to show. It depends on how excited I am. It depends on how much I prepare myself for that opportunity. If I want to go high, if I want people's respect, if I want to uh, be used, then I better have the right attitude to go along with that, Right? How many of you guys have ran into Walmart greeters who are not greeters? Yeah. Let me see your basket. Whoa. Sorry, man. Bad deal, bro. Bad deal. But their attitude, right? Their attitude needs some adjustment. But if I find out what I lend myself towards, and what I found out is that I tend to lend myself towards sin, right? One thing we cannot defy is the, the, the law of sin, Matter of fact, Paul talks about it in Romans 7, and it even it confuses me. <laughs> but he's talking about the battle between self and the battle between spirit. 
And what I found out is if I'm going to defy a law, I need, I need to be able to defy the law, and I can't, so I have to go after somebody who can, and his name is Jesus, right? Slipped through crowds, walked on water, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, defied all kinds of laws of nature. And I'm glad I found him because he's the one through him that I get to defy that sin law through. This is what I know. If we're going to run with royalty, we cannot practice serving self. If we're going to run with royalty, we cannot practice serving self. This next year, as we plan our resolutions, as we, as, we, as we get our stuff in gear and say, these are all the things that I want to accomplish, make sure that not all of them are self-serving. Some of them have to be. Hey, I want to get in more shape. I want to eat better. I want to, I want to put more time in, into my, my Bible reading, things to build myself up. But maybe it might be serving at the church. It might be a better relationship with so-and-so or so-and-so. But I cannot serve myself. See, Joseph's dreams were about his position. His interpretation was about what was going to happen to him. I'm up in front of everybody. Everybody bows down to me. And it was a lack of wisdom. It was a lack of discernment. With his brothers, he told that they did evil. Matter of fact, his brothers once again said, we want to sell him because it brings more. But he revealed the dream anyways. Now, this is, this is the, the key thing for me that shows that the, the, the discernment and wisdom. He tells his brothers, whenever he tells his brothers the second time, what does his father Jacob do? His father Jacob rebukes him because he doesn't really understand it either. But then it says a little line in there, it says he keeps it in mind. As pastor was preaching to us last week, I was thinking about Simeon. I was thinking about how Simeon held Jesus up and he looked at Mary and he said, this man is going to be a man of sorrows. Matter of fact, he's going to go through so much that it's like it'll pierce your heart with a sword. And I wonder if Jacob, because of his experience, because of his wisdom, instead of, instead of calling in a big party and saying, hey, my son had these two dreams, let's kill the fatted calf, let's bring in the neighborhood, tell everybody... Instead, he said he kept it in mind. I wonder if he thought kind of what Simeon thought or what Mary experienced. I wonder if he thought, wow, I wonder what he's going to have to go through for those dreams to come true. I wonder what he's going to have to endure to be in that position. In Genesis 45 and 5, and it says, Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. At the end of the story, though, he finally gets it. He finally gets it. Everything that I went through was for a purpose. It was for positioning. See, he couldn't serve self and run with royalty. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've got to talk to my flesh. Does anybody else have to speak to your flesh? Sometimes I have to speak to my flesh. Sometimes I understand. In Luke 24, when Mary Magdalene went, went, went towards the tomb, and there's an angel, and he goes, why do you look for the living among the dead? Sometimes I have to reverse that question and say, it's flesh, why is the dead among the living? Because I've crucified my flesh. I've, I've chosen to pick up my cross today. I've chosen salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone away. That means I'm careful. I'm not, I, if I'm not careful, I slip into I'm not aware. I turn into the dog who returns to his vomit. The pig who runs, turns to the mud hole. I become the ship that's tossed upon the waves. I've got to speak to my flesh. 
And then once I become that and I, I return, what happens? I become double-minded. And of course, Scripture says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. See, understand to a certain degree maybe what Joseph was going through as they were taking him through Potiphar's house and, and through these different scenes in his life. And the thing that I find out at the end is what? It was all to increasing. God was not going to waste his pain. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And sometimes I have to remind myself that's who I get to follow. That's who I have the opportunity to seek. That's who I have the opportunity to collide with in my quiet time. I use this word practicing because sometimes self wins, doesn't it? Sometimes no matter how hard I try, I get in that selfish moment, that selfish stage, and I, it wins. But see, that's the beauty of the story. It's despite the imperfection of Joseph, he hung with God and God took him to run with royalty. Another thing that I see in him is Joseph is really good about practicing in the dark. See, when we serve when no one sees, it positions us to win when everybody's watching. See, it was, it was in the depths of the pit when his brothers were, and if you read the story, right, his brothers were up and they take a break and start eating. And they're conniving, how can we get rid of him? Already stole his jacket. Interesting thing there if you think about that. The brothers stole his, his token of favoritism. Matter of fact, whenever he ran out of Potiphar's house from his, from his uh, Potiphar's wife, she had his cloak in his hand. You might lose the tokens of God's favor on your life, circumstance, people, but you can keep the spirit of favoritism if our attitude is right. See, he, he was able to win when no one watching. It was in the darkness of the pit. It was whenever he was being sold. Imagine that exchange happening and he was being sold to the Ishmaelites. Boy, nobody can wound like family can wound, right? Friends, sometimes you expect it, but your brothers? Think about the two-day journey after being, being sold. How lonely was that? What, was he, what did he have to practice? God, it's just me and you. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. But I better stick to you. And then in Potiphar's house, right? Has that moment. And, and really, it, the scripture lends itself to believe that this was a perpetual thing. That she kept throwing himself at Joseph. And see, so you see a little bit of lack of wisdom because he looks at her and he says, How can I do this thing? Your husband has put me in charge of everything. Well then, Joseph, why are you in the house by yourself with a woman who's been throwing herself at you? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a gross sin. It wasn't brutal or anything like that. It was just a lack of wisdom, a lack of discernment. Because, see, the Scripture, the thing I love about Scripture, Scripture will tell you the whole story. It doesn't just give us the highlights of David's life, right? It tells everything. So I'm sure the Scripture would have said, and Potiphar's wife walked in and told all the servants to leave so she could corner Joseph. That's not what happened. She, she found an opportune time. And that's how evil works. After Jesus had fasted 40 days, Satan had taken him all over the planet. What does Scripture say? He, return, he will return for a more opportune time. So here, once again, lack of discernment. But it was in those moments where she grabbed his cloak and he took off his jacket and he was running away in that first couple steps that he began to realize that everything changes. 
Then he's back in the prison, the darkness of the dungeons, serving people who cannot serve him back. They have nothing to give him. But he still keeps practicing in the dark. Interprets dreams. And then what happens? He finds himself before Pharaoh. And once again, he finds himself in rags, but he acts like royalty. In Matthew 6 and 6, it says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray that your father who is unseen, to, to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, he understood this secret place. And I understand in that scripture, it talks about an inner room. In your house. In Psalms 91, 1 and 2, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. See, when we embrace the secret place, we embrace the presence of Christ because that's where we'll find Him. Now, now let's not get confused on on the secret place. The secret place is that inner room where you go in and pray and you get on your knees and you seek Christ. But I also know the secret place can be in the sanctuary. When your hands are lifted high and nobody else knows what's going on in your life, but you still will worship God. The other day, whenever my daughter wasn't feeling well, Scripture says, if any be sick among you, bring the elders of the church, pray and anoint them with oil. I took Callie and I took him into the pastor's office. And pastor, I said, she's not feeling well. And he, and he took that anointing oil and he stretched his arm around her and he had her in this arm and he, and he touched her on the head. Mel came in as a representation of another elder and laid her hand on her. And I was there. And in that moment, that office became our secret place. It's with your friend whenever you grip hands. And nobody else knows what's going on but you all too. And in that moment, that place right there becomes your secret place. Facebook and Snapchat really isn't all that secret. I know we want people to know sometimes, but there's nothing wrong with asking for prayer. I get it. But dirty laundry, save that for the washing machine because none of those people can wash it anyways. Just Jesus, okay? Check this out. In 1 Peter 4 and 12 it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter here is saying, don't be surprised. This is what we do because we walk with Jesus. Think about it. I want to say congratulations to you this morning if you do feel a little bit of anxiety. If you do feel a little bit of depression out, it shouldn't stay and you need to pray against it. If you, if you feel uncomfortable, if you don't know what's going to happen next, congratulations. Why? Because you got something the devil wants. Pastor's going to start a sermon series in January. Man, I'm stoked about it. It's going to be called The Fight. And it's going to be talking about the fight of our lives for this next year. What are we going to do to change? We're in a fight, and we've got to fight for our family and for ourselves. You've got something that the devil wants. Congratulations. It wasn't until Moses got the children of Israel that Pharaoh chased him, right? It wasn't until David was anointed with oil and the oil seeped down his face and he said, I ain't never felt anything like that, that all hell broke loose in his life. The devil didn't care about him wrestling with a lion and a bear. Nobody was around to see it. Nobody would probably believe him anyways. It wasn't until Paul was converted on the road to Damascus whenever he faced the beatings. Think about it. He stood at the feet of Stephen and he was almost in a state of peace. 
as the first martyr died for the cause of Christ. But it wasn't until conversion. So, so congratulations, you're taking ground back. This whole time you might have thought, God, where are you? You don't know. No, listen, you're taking ground back. You're lining your kids up. You're deciding to make some choices in your life with your family that honors God. That's great. And you're going to hit walls. You're going to hit fiery trials. And Peter says, don't be surprised. That's kind of how it works. The devil doesn't like to lose territory. The devil doesn't like to lose territory. But in Hebrews 6, right, what does it say? Or Hebrews 11. Those who, who diligently seek him, he'll reward. He's going to reward us openly. And, and, and sometimes as he rewards us openly, people's not going to understand. I think it's T.D. Jakes that says favor ain't fair. As the favoritism of God rests upon our lives, people's going to peer into it and say, I don't get it, I don't understand. And we need to be sensitive to that. But I'm not going to apologize for the favor of God on my life. Because I've got to have it, right? I've got, I was destined to run with royalty. And the only way I can run with royalty is with God's help. Psalms 145 and 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him and hears the cry of those who save it, that he saves. In Genesis 41 and 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, such a great scripture, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. He got his reward. Now he had rewards in the journey, he had tokens in the journey. But what he lacked, God gave him. And it wasn't God that said, Joseph, you've got this now. Matter of fact, it was wisdom and the discerning spirit was so thick on him that people around him, the highest official in the land, looked at him and said, wow, you're the wisest and the most discerning person I've ever been around. But, but wait a second, Pharaoh, I'm in rags. Yeah, but you're acting like royalty. Because Joseph understood that he was made to run with royalty. Would you guys stand with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.